With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hello and welcome to the PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. Friday, week 14, Injury Report Edition. I'm your host, Ian Harditz. Happy week 14. Hope you guys enjoyed that epic Baker Mayfield Thursday night comeback. Where the hell did that come from? Either way, it is a great day to be great. Joining me as always, PFF analyst slash bunch of other places. Does work all over the industry. Great presence on the old Twitter sphere as well. Nick Bodiford. Nick, what's up, man? Hey, man. Pumped for this. Let's do it. Great day to be great. Nick, always straight to the point. I love it. And with that, let's do it. Every fantasy relevant injury, we'll get some DFS goodness afterwards. So starting off at quarterback, Dolphins are in LA and they think they can just do whatever the hell they want these days. So we do not have an official injury report for them yet. As I'm talking at 5.30 p.m. Eastern on Friday afternoon, I don't think it's going to matter too much though. Tua Tagovailoa with his ankle. It's just one of those things where Mike McDaniel already assured everyone that it's not expecting to be a problem ahead of something that's likely shoot out against the Chargers. So continue to fire up Tua as anyone's idea of an upside QB1. Unfortunately, Lamar Jackson is expecting to miss this one with a knee injury. He is officially doubtful. It's something like over 90%, 95% of players who have been listed as doubtful don't end up playing on Sunday. So do not expect him to play. We are expecting Tyler Huntley to be out there instead. And Nick, it is a situation in Pittsburgh where it's not going to be ideal weather. And we've seen this offense with Huntley for a couple quarters and then with Lamar Jackson. Honestly, for the better part of the last couple of months, not exactly look like a juggernaut out there they've been winning games regardless Lamar usually doing just enough to get them there but this isn't exactly a well-oiled machine that I'm expecting Huntley to keep on keeping on in that said six extended appearances over the past two years he has at least six rush attempts in all those games average a respectable 205 passing yards per game during that stretch I have Huntley as my QB 15 ahead of guys like Daniel Jones Tom Brady the great Mike White even how does that sound to you too high too low just right We're in the same tier. I have him closer to the bottom tier, but like in that mid-range QB2, I think it's totally reasonable. Great day to be great. 49ers quarterback Jimmy Garoppolo, however, will be missing this one with a foot injury as expected. Brock Purdy, big cock Brock for those counting at home, will be under center with that lowly 6.4 yard average target death where, yes, I am expecting it to be a downgrade for Debo Samuel, Brandon Ayuk, and George Kittle. Really the only guy that I don't think is going to be overly concerned with this quarterback change is Christian McCaffrey. Big reason for that is Elijah Mitchell also continuing to be sidelined. So McCaffrey, don't change a thing. Debo, in my opinion, becomes more of a borderline wide receiver two. I look more of a boomer bust wide receiver three. And it's a tight end landscape. You guys know how it goes. Can't move Kittle down too far, but certainly not that every week top two, top three option that we were hoping for. Jaguars quarterback Trevor Lawrence officially listed as questionable with a toe injury, but did manage to come back to practice on Friday and said earlier in the week that he expects to suit up. So, Nick, I'm not overly downgrading Lawrence because of this injury. We saw him suffer it right before halftime last week. It looked bad in the moment, but he came out and played in the second half. So against this Titans defense, look, they're a good overall defense, but they're much better against the run than the pass. I feel like this could be a sneaky shootout. That game total is only resting at, I believe, 41 points. Weather isn't supposed to be an issue. 
The Titans in their last four games with a healthy Derrick Henry have scored over 30 points against the Jaguars and T-Law. Last week, disappointment aside, that was a little bit injury-induced. Has been playing the best football of his career over these last four or five weeks. So, Zay Jones, also questionable, but expecting him to play. Could be a sneaky little spot here for Kirk, Zay, and T-Law to get going. Final note on the uh, quarterback side of things. Seahawks quarterback Geno Smith with his right shoulder injury not listed. So, he actually was a midweek downgrade, which you never want to see, but he is good to go for Sunday. So, friendly reminder, Geno Smith, 10 games with multiple touchdown passes this season. Russell Wilson has one. Looking at running back, Nick, a couple big names here that actually are truly questionable. First of all, Giants running back Saquon Barkley with this neck injury. Again, I'm going to say it a lot this episode. Mid, mid, midweek injury additions to the report are never good, and this was the case with Barkley. Was not listed on Wednesday and all of a sudden limited on Thursday. And we even had Brian DeBull saying that this could actually – what were his exact words on that, Nick? I don't want to misquote him, but basically Saquon's legit questionable. That's what I took from him. I, th- I think that that's fair. Um, I, you know, our guy, uh, Jeff Mueller, he's, he seems like he's, he's leaning toward Barkley playing. Um, Edwin tweeted out something that I'm searching for right now, where he had the, the frequency with which players sit if they get added midweek to the injury report. And he did that this week. So I'm trying to, okay, here we go. Fantasy football anxiety is high. okay. Blah, blah, blah. 2020 to 2021 skill players added to the report on Thursday for a Sunday game. Missed the game just 33% of the time, which is a lot lower than I would have expected. Um, But, you know, okay, now we have a baseline to anchor ourselves to. It does sound after rereading the quotes. That's why I was trying to double check before alert before misalerting all you fine listeners out there. It sounds like Saquon is probably more on the probable side of questionable. Brian Dable specifically said it's possible Saquon's status for Sunday is in doubt. He hopes he will play, but his neck is sore, so we'll see. But he also said, you know, it's week 14, and uh, reporter Jordan Renan said that based on conversations with Barkley yesterday, doesn't see his status being in serious doubt. So luckily, Eagles-Giants, I believe that is a 1 o'clock game. So even if we don't actually hear about it, yeah, it is at 1 o'clock. So even if we don't hear about it on you know Saturday at midnight when Schefter and all those guys usually re- release their reports, we will know by 11.30 on Sunday morning. So assume Saquon's in there. If not, Matt Breida would get elevated and be the lead back. But again, we've talked about this a little bit where Breida, Dontro, Hilliard, there are a couple of these kind of handcuffs that just aren't nearly as owned as the top guys we usually think about but that is for a reason this isn't like a Leonard Fournette's out so Rashad White becomes an immediate top 10 running back type of situation if we do see Saquon miss time I mean like Deontay Foreman versus Matt Breida I take Deontay Foreman I think Right after that, though, once we start getting into like James Cook, Kareem Hunt, Latavius Murray versus Matt Breida, I think he's going to be probably a borderline RB2. Is that fair, Nick? Probably, given all the buys. it's They they did a weird thing with their backfield in Week 12 where Gary Brightwell played ahead of Breida, but then Breida took that role back in Week 13. So I think he'll probably mix in a little bit. Um, That's tough, though. I mean, like, I don't want to test the Philadelphia front with a backup running back. I I think he's an RB3 given all the buys, but uh, not a must start. Not a must start no. with that sort of three down workload. Like, hey, we see it sometimes where mixing is certain. Samaj Piran all of a sudden gets more work than the actual starter was getting. That's not what we have here with Matt Breida. Lions running back DeAndre Swift, not listed with that ankle injury, continuing to be on the injury report, not ideal, but it's good he avoided the designation. I will say uh, Justin Rogers, who came on this podcast a couple years ago when I did the uh, 32 beat writers and 32 days series, he 
was speculating that maybe Swift's usage goes down this week after he had 18 touches for the first time since week one last week. I don't want to call that a report. I do think it's fair, though, to note, Nick, that Swift, in my opinion, isn't back to what we thought he was in weeks one and week two. That was, hey, okay, Swift is the lead back of a two-back committee and a good offense. He's still a lead back. That's good. But it's still a three-back committee here. Justin Jackson isn't going anywhere, unfortunately. And, yes, the offense is back to balling. I mean, over the past four weeks, only the Cowboys have scored more points per game than the Detroit Lions. But Jackson's going to still be taking away some of those targets. Jamal Williams is still going to be taking away some of those carries. And as great as last week was, man, look, 18 touches last week. But before that, he had... 10, 5, 7, 8, and 9. So I just don't want to get too carried away with a one-week sample here. Now, with all the buys and stuff, I do have DeAndre Swift as my RB13. I would still start him ahead of guys like Isaiah Pacheco, Miles Sanders, Damian Pierce, who just don't have anything close to the same sort of ceiling. That's Swift, though, is the pass catcher. Am I overthinking this one? I do really think there could be something to Swift still not being quite at 100%. You're not overthinking it. I'm pushing my chips in a little bit more with him, though. Uh, he he even took over the, I think it was the, the red zone and green zone role, just in terms of snaps. Um, the ankle makes it, you know, me a little bit nervous, but this is a, a high-scoring game, or it's projected to be a high-scoring game. There's only, uh, you know, two games over like 47 points or whatever it is. Uh, and this is one of them. He's the pass-catching guy. I For me, he is, I think I have him as the, I've got him as the running back five. I think he's just part of the Ramondre Chubb Cook tier. Um, But uh, yeah, so I'm a little bit more optimistic. But like if we find out that the ankle was an issue afterward, I won't be surprised. Hey, I still have him ranked as a top 13 running back. So you should be starting him in far more lineups than not. Anyway, Nick and I just getting a little bit in the weeds here. Good news, Bengals running back Joe Mixon not listed this week. He has cleared the concussion protocol. Good to go for Sunday. So I have Mixon ranked RB7, firing him up with all the confidence in the world. Not going back the well with Samaje Piran as the clear cut back. I have him as my RB40 on the week behind guys like Travis Homer, Kenneth Gamewell, Chuba Hubbard, Jeff Wilson, amongst many others. Yeah, Piran, pretty damn good handcuff. Don't cut him if you can at all, you know, help it. Like, we clearly have seen what he's capable of. Three straight top 10 finishes without mixing in the lineup. Just not expecting that standalone value to hold. 49ers running back Christian McCaffrey not listed with that knee injury, as we said before in the Garoppolo discussion. Continue to fire him up as anyone's idea of a weekly upside RB1. Nick, did you hear anything conclusive on Ravens running back J.K. Dobbins? Because we had earlier in the week head coach John Harbaugh say Dobbins is quote-unquote in play to return against the Steelers, but because he is still on the IR, we we haven't had them actually tell us you know what his practice participation is, and we won't know until Saturday if he's actually going to be activated. And he leans on Dobbins. Uh, looks like we have an update that he practiced on Thursday. I have not seen anything uh, as for today. That's an awfully ugly <laughs> situation. What are you doing with Dobbins? Not playing him, but I'm just kind of curious. <laughs> we got to talk about yeah. it, you know? So it's one of those things where, look, if he comes back, I think Gus Edwards is still going to be not at risk of having more usage than Dobbins, but at least in week one being back, that probably is a reality that could happen. And then, Afterwards, Gus isn't completely going away. They continue to like Kenyon Drake. Justice Hill gets some snaps. I don't think Dobbins is going to be able to break through and be more than like an RB3 the rest of the way. He's going to have to be back to that six-yard per carry guy that we saw as a rookie because that's just life in this offense because the Ravens running backs, their backfield as a whole this year, 28th in carries and 31st in targets. So unless you have that wild efficiency, which, yeah, 
Tyler Huntley is good for Tyler Huntley. I think he can be a much better fantasy quarterback than he is in real life. I'm not thinking that Tyler Huntley has the same impact on defenses in terms of his ability to threaten them, the read option game and all that as Lamar freaking Jackson. So Dobbins, Edwards, I would not be surprised at all if we see some of their yards per carries come back down to earth. Usually it's just wild what Lamar is able to do for the rest of his team's run game. With the Seahawks, Pete Carroll, the ultimate uh, optimist, continuing to screw us over with this. Kenneth Walker, DJ Dallas, they're officially questionable with these ankle injuries. They did not practice all week, though. The Seahawks, I guess, don't practice on Fridays or they just don't submit their practice participation on Fridays. Whatever. They didn't do it on Wednesday or Thursday. They're listed as questionable. Travis Homer is fine. He's not listed at all, so that's good news at least. But, like, he listed Walker and Dallas as questionable and also Metcalf, but then he comes out later and says that Metcalf is fine and that Walker and DJ Dallas are game day decisions. So, unlike our Giants game, Nick, we do have to be concerned about this because the Panthers play the Seahawks at the 4 o'clock afternoon slate, which means unless we hear something from Adam Schefter, Ian Rappaport, whoever earlier in that day, we're not going to be able to know for sure if Walker is in or out until the one o'clock games have already started. So I do not think that Walker and Dallas are going to suit up. I think Homer will lead probably a fairly evenly split three back committee with him, Tony Jones, and maybe a Wayne Gallman who just got signed on Tuesday. Travis Homer, honestly, like a Matt Breida, someone that I think deserves to be in the upper tier of that RB3 range just by virtue of six teams being on by. But like Matt Breida, not someone that I think you're going to be jamming into your starting lineups if these running backs end up being ruled out. Yep, totally fair. I think I think um, Homer will probably split the carry lead with Tony Jones. I do think he'll take the passing down role, which you know gives him a little bit of extra juice. Panthers running back Deontay Foreman had that foot injury, but he is not listed on the final injury report and is expecting to suit up Sunday against the Seahawks. So on the one hand, the Seahawks run defense isn't good. We've seen them give up, I believe, bottom five in PPR points per game allowed to opposing running backs this season. On the other hand, Nick, I'm not as concerned about the matchup on the line of scrimmage as I am Seattle potentially running away with this game because we've seen the two games where the Panthers couldn't stay in it with Deontay Foreman and he ended up in week nine with nine touches for 21 yards against the Bengals and then a couple weeks later he only had 11 touches for 24 yards so he is banged up. I mean he even said on Wednesday that he was like 95% sure he was going to play so like it is an actual injury here that we're dealing with and we did see before their by Chuba Hubbard just be a little bit more involved than he had in the few previous weeks. Thoughts on Deontay Foreman? Because I do have him right now as my RB24 behind guys like Zonovan Knight, Jamal Williams, Miles Sanders, Damian Pierce, Isaiah Pacheco. I consider them all to have pretty similar roles, expecting 15-plus carries, not much work in the passing game. I'm just far less confident in the Panthers as I am in, honestly, the Lions, the Eagles, the Chiefs, and, hell, even the Jets. Uh, I've got him as my running back 19. I don't envision uh, moving him too much after injury updates uh, at the end of the day. They want to give him like 20 carries. They've they've signaled that for a long time. He was a full participant in practice today, Friday. Um, So I I think that, I mean, who else are we starting, you know, as an RB2, given the state of things? I I think you just roll with him and, and cross your fingers. 
Steelers running back Najee Harris, not listed while dealing with that oblique injury. The problem is when we have Jalen Warren and now even Benny Snell also there, it's just not enough volume for Najee to continue to be inefficient and then make up for it like he did last season. Last year, only Derrick Henry averaged more expected fantasy points per game than Najee Harris. So when Najee didn't meet that, you know, expected points, he still fell down to like the low end RB1 range. This year, he's like the RB14 in expected points per game. Okay, actually, no, even lower. He's RB20 in expected points per game. So when you see him finishing as this low end borderline RB2, it's more so due to him not getting that same volume. Really hasn't been that much worse in terms of efficiency this season. Long way of saying, no, you do not need to jam Najee into those starting lineups, even though he is likely to play. And finally, Patriots running back Damon Harris. We're not going to get the official designation until Saturday, but not looking all that good to suit up. And even if he does, man, like he's probably going to be questionable and you can't have any faith in this dude going into Monday Night Football. So moral of the story, with or without Harris, Ramondre Stevenson is an absolute must start. One of only six running backs this year, averaging at least 17 expected PPR points per game. Those targets are a hell of a drug in fantasy football land. Appreciate our live YouTube chat tuning in. We got a couple of running back uh, questions here already, Nick, from our guy, Big Trev. Rashad White or Raheem Mostert in full PPR, thinking Rashad only if Lenny is out. I would go Rashad White either way, man. Unfortunately, with Raheem Mostert, yes, last week looked good. And this matchup against the Chargers is salivating, but seven total back field carries last week Mike McDaniel is not a fan of running the ball I don't blame him and it's just one of those things Nick where like do you feel confident about most of continuing to hold off Jeff Wilson I could easily see that switching this week who knows so with that give me Rashad White who even with Leonard Fournette active last week still had 16 combined carries and targets and managed to finish as a top 10 back in full PPR definitely Rashad right Nick yeah I agree uh Rashad White the the workload stable from our guy, John Edwards. Pick two between McKinnon, Knight, and Michael Carter. Thanks, guys. Be blessed. You too, my man. Definitely Zonovan Knight um, in this situation. Now, Jarek McKinnon versus Michael Carter. I would probably still lean Jarek McKinnon. Now, at least in Kansas City, man, we have Jarek McKinnon and we have Isaiah Pacheco. In New York, there's still a chance that we're going to be watching the Jets playing from behind with Zonovan Knight and Michael Carter standing next to each other on the sideline while Ty Johnson is out there getting some of these targets. So basically, Nick, I know we're both in for Zonovan Knight. In his first game back from injury, I think I would take McKinnon over Michael Carter. What do you think? Uh, yes. And this isn't the Jets backfield. So you don't, you can't feel confident starting two guys from the same team. So yeah, McKinnon and Knight for me. Good stuff. All right. Final one before we move on to wide receiver B-dubs. I might have some B-dubs tonight. I love the pretzel appetizer B-dubs, man. <laughs> I, I've given so much money to them for that over the years. A white or James Cook. Yeah, it's once again, could be Rashad White for me. Independent of Leonard Fournette is playing. It's the thing with James Cook and Zonovan Knight, guys, where relative to where they were a couple weeks ago, especially Zonovan Knight, we barely even knew who the dude was three weeks ago. Yes, Boom values compared to what they were, and they accordingly have been on the cover of all these waiver wire articles and all that. Just realize in New York, like we just mentioned, and also in Buffalo, still three running backs being involved on a week-to-week basis. Lost in the you know season-high marks for James Cook and all the usage stuff last week. That same exact stuff happened to Naeem Hines. Naeem Hines in his first four games with the Bills played 24 offensive snaps. He played 23 last week. So with a lot of these backfields, I know it's week 14. We don't have all that much time anymore to be like, hey, let's see what happens. 
happens over these next few weeks and you know see how it plays out. So I get it with James Cook and Zonovan Knight getting them on the squad. And hey, hopefully we do have awesome you know stretch runs for these guys. Just realize still have three running backs involved. So when it's Rashad White, you know, versus James Cook, you look at their opportunities. I will generally be taking the guy involved in the backfield with only two backs as opposed to three. Moving on to wide receiver. Once again, the freaking Miami Dolphins can't be bothered to do anything on time while they're all hanging out in Los Angeles. So Tyreek Hill, Jalen Waddle, I think both are fine, but we do not have those official designations. So Waddle was the one actually dealing with this leg injury during the game last week that took him out for a little bit, but he did practice in full on Thursday and presumably Friday. Meanwhile, Tyreek Hill with the illness did not keep him sidelined for more than one day this week. So fire up Tyreek and Waddle as the top 10 wide receivers. They have been all season chargers wide receiver mike williams will be making his return from that ankle injury he is not listed on the injury report which is great news since they play on sunday night um and that's gonna be a great matchup there between the dolphins and the chargers so with mike williams i did not have him in my ranks to open up the week usually to practice when we have people out there that have missed you know multiple games looking at it now nick like where would you kind of fit Mike Williams with guys like Marquise Brown, Debo Samuel, and Mike Evans. I'm inclined to actually put him ahead of Debo and Mike at this point. What say you? Uh, man, I think it's really difficult. Like, I guess, okay, so the matchup is not that hard. I think I'm, I don't like high ankles. I don't like the fact that he re-aggravated it. I don't like the fact that he was only a limited participant on Wednesday. And I know Wednesday is the, you know, the day of rest and everything. I think I'm probably still going to be ranking Josh Palmer ahead of Mike Williams. Whoa. And I will, I I'm just, what I will tell people is like, if you, Mike Williams is the type of start that you have to be emotionally okay with <laughs> just having a zero, right? Like he could score two touchdowns, but he is like as volatile as it gets given the high ankle. I mean, he's already a volatile player. Um, I think he's probably like, a boom bust wide receiver three for me. That's first read, but he's maybe he might be the most difficult wide receiver to rank. I think I was a little overzealous there. I would probably actually start Evans Debo DJ Moore ahead of him, but he belongs right next to Gabriel Davis and Brandon Ayuk. This is perfect. That's the range I want him right in. Sure. Those should be the boomer bust guys that you're more worried about in regards to Josh Palmer. That's a tough one, man. Cause Hey, I just, if he's good to go, he doesn't have the injury tag. I am not going to think that he has this elevated risk of uh you know re-injuring that ankle hopefully we get some more words closer to sunday mike williams as the great hayden winks over underdog fantasy has said you don't deserve him at his highs if you won't play him at his lows so i'm in boomer <laughs> bust wide receiver three let's go mike williams here we go we actually got a question with mike williams in it right now start two wide receivers between mike williams Darius Slayton, George Pickens, or Michael Gallup. Yeah, like I'm definitely starting Mike Williams out of that group. And then probably Darius Slayton. What a time to be alive. Let's say you, Nick. Yeah, I agree. It's a tough, tough personnel matchup for Slayton, but he's very good against zone and uh, Philly runs a lot of zone. So I, yeah. Appreciate you, Senor Football. All right, Cardinals wide receiver DeAndre Hopkins missed practice on Thursday with that illness. Back on Friday, I don't think he'll have a designation going into Monday night. Good to go there. Rondale Moore, on the other hand, even after having that bye week, was not able to start off the week with the practice. Puts him probably on the wrong side of questionable if he's even given that sort of designation for Monday night. Either way, guys, Rondale, not someone we can trust going into this matchup here. So Marquise Brown, very good news for him not to have Rondale out there because we've 
we've seen Kyler and Colt McCoy when they have two of these guys, they just force feed them the football. So I know it's the Patriots, but man, Nick, look at what the look at the Patriots have faced over the last eight weeks, man. We've seen more than a few offenses in the Vikings, the Bills, even the Bears have all sorts of success. They shut down, they completely shut down Sam Ellinger and Zach Wilson. Like, good job, man. But no, like I'm not terrified about Kyler Hopkins and Marquise Brown going up against this group. Seahawks wide receiver DK Metcalf questionable with a hip injury but as we've been ranting about earlier Pete Carroll did already say that Metcalf is expected to play on Sunday against the Panthers so midweek downgrades not good as I will say probably a couple more times this podcast but DK Metcalf Tyra Lockett fire them up as the upside wide receiver twos they have been all season long. Debo Samuel not listed with that quad injury, but just watch a 49ers game. You can still st- you can still see that this dude is playing through the pain. So Samuel for me, borderline wide receiver two with Brock Purdy under center. I have Boomer Bust wide receiver three. And yeah, Kittle, more of a mid-tier tight end one. Browns wide receiver Amari Cooper, questionable with a hip, but tentatively expecting to play through the pain ahead of Sunday's matchup against the Bengals. David Bell is not listed with a thumb injury. So, Nick, I'm all over the Browns this week in DFS especially, and obviously that does go hand-in-hand with you know being a bit higher on these guys than usual in the rankings as well. So I think Amari Cooper's away, home-away splits are a myth, and it's just you know a big propaganda job by big government trying to throw us off here. With Don Peoples-Jones, I have him as my wide receiver 31. Like, how much stock are you putting into 60 minutes of Deshaun Watson looking really bad? Like, th- there's no way to put it. He was skipping passes in, was not a good performance. They scored six total points on offense against the Houston Texans. How much stock do you put into that? And how much stock do you put into four years of Deshaun Watson being a top 10 real life and fantasy quarterback? I am going to lean more towards a bigger sample size because honestly, I thought last week's dud, we should have easily seen that coming. We did see it coming. I don't know. One of my bets on Roto Grinders was, uh, Bet in the under because this was an emotional game with a rusty quarterback. And come on, like, how much are you expecting Watson to get back on track? Or is this unfortunate and we just don't really know? Well, okay. So I, I what I'm going to hang my hat on is what you have the notes in the notes here. Uh, Amari Cooper had a 41% target share. So Watson doesn't have to be that great for, for that kind of usage to hit. And I don't expect that to, to remain stable, but like it, it just shows – what the the uh, offensive identity is kind of going forward. It's feed Amari Cooper. Um, I've got Cooper as a wide receiver 14, and I've got Donovan Peoples-Jones as the wide receiver 28. So I think we're fairly in sync on this one. I do think that the Cincinnati Bengals defense special teams is a great one to start this week because I, I do expect Watson struggles to continue as he acclimates, reacclimates to the NFL. Um, but I'm not I'm not shying away too much from those two wide receivers. Definitely off David Bell, though. Don't like the Mike Hilton thing. Yeah, no, Bell's not getting enough volume. Luckily, David Njoku is back as well. So I think I'm going to settle with Watson as my QB 12 on the week. It's probably not worth being overly aggressive on it until we see him look a little bit more like the guy we saw in 2017, 2020. So would start quarterbacks like Dak, Geno Smith, Trevor Lawrence, and Jared Goff ahead of Deshaun Watson. I still think Watson probably deserves the benefit of the doubt ahead of guys like Tyler Huntley, Daniel Jones, Kirk Cousins. That fair, Nick, or are you just really plummeting him down the ranks? Um, bringing up my quarterback rankings right now, I have Watson as the quarterback 16. So he is okay. he is wow. behind those guys for me. 
Okay, we'll see, man. Again, this is one of the trickier uh, kind of spots in the league because if we want to look at it overall, like if we just knew it was Deshaun Watson going to be doing Deshaun Watson things, he'd be a top five quarterback because that's what he was in fantasy. And before last week, I mean, I think it was only it was Patrick Mahomes was the only quarterback in NFL history averaging more fantasy points per game than Deshaun Watson. Obviously, though, this is 2022, not 2020, and we need to try to work best with what we got. So Cooper, Dobbin, Peoples-Jones, lesser extent, obviously, uh, feeling good about that. Them and David Njoku with Watson, though, just too a little bit too hard to be fully investing in him as a must-start top 10 option at this point in time. Good news, Bengals wide receiver T. Higgins not listed with a hamstring injury. Another situation where it was a midweek downgrade, but he is good to go. So continue to fire him up in lineups of most shapes and sizes. Steelers wide receiver Deontay Johnson questionable with a hip injury. He did get back to a limited practice on Friday, but once again, say it with me, everyone, midweek downgrades are not good. So with Deontay, someone that, look, obviously we have not been able to trust at all this season. He has zero top 24 finishes after having 12 in 2020 alone someone where again Steelers players any sort of close start sit questions don't be afraid to pick the other guy I mean Ravens Steelers and 49ers Buccaneers week low tied for it 37 point game total absolutely brutal Chiefs wide receiver Kadarius Tony questionable with a hamstring injury, but they play in the afternoon. And just the fact that he is being called basically a game time decision, I am not at all confident in Tony having that sort of like Miko Hardman role that we're hoping for him to have at some point. The fact that he is seemingly close to coming back is good news. Hopefully, for week 15 and beyond, we can be feeling a little bit more comfortable about starting the guy. Texans wide receiver Brandon Cooks out with a calf injury. Nico Collins out with a foot injury. My God, the Texans are implied to score 14 points this week. Nick, thoughts on anybody in this offense other than Damian Pierce? I mean, Philip Dorsett should profile as the lead wide receiver, but even then, man, like Philip Dorsett, even as the Texans number one, like is that someone that you want to start ahead of Gallup or George Pickens or Tyler Boyd? Because I really don't. No, there was maybe hope at one point that Chris Moore could be something, but of course Dallas has a new breakout slot corner in Deron Bland. So like, no, just, just fade it. Just, just fade it. Exactly. Jaguars wide receiver, Zay Jones, questionable with a chest injury, but he's kind of been dealing with this throughout the season. And he is actually someone where, Hey, Okay, he's practicing limited fashion all week. I'm more confident in him playing through that than someone that would have had a DMP on there. So just interesting where this year, in terms of expected PPR points per game, Christian Kirk is the wide receiver 19 and Zay Jones is the wide receiver 20. But this is 2022. We play in real fantasy points leagues and Christian Kirk is the wide receiver 15 and Zay is the wide receiver 40. But I'm just saying, you know, on DFS, DraftKings, whatever you're trying to play, Nice little bounce back spot potentially for Zay. We talked earlier about some of the struggles that the Titans have had defending the past this season. In Denver, Cortland Sutton out with a hamstring injury. Jerry Judy is good to go with an ankle. So it's the exact same conversation we had with Cortland Sutton when he was in this position a couple of weeks ago, Nick, where it's like, oh man, Tim Patrick's been out. KJ Handler's not a factor. Now Cortland Sutton's out. Jerry Judy, everything's going well, and he's my wide receiver 30. Like we just can't get too excited about these guys. And look, I think Judy's played better than Cortland Sutton. I would admit that Jerry Judy seems like a better wide receiver than Cortland Sutton. Wide receiver 30, Nick, am I not looking too much in the future? Am I penalizing him too much for what happened in weeks 1 through 14 or 1 through 13? Or is that about right? He's my wide receiver 36. He's got to play oh, against okay. LeJarrius Sneed. Like, it's, this is a 
gnarly situation. Not great. Titans wide receiver Traylon Burks out with the concussion. Do not be chasing Robert Woods, Nick Westbrook, Akini, or anyone like that. Only guy we really care about is Chick Okonkwo. I'm starting to get that name down. Feeling good at Nick. Been saying it a lot over these last few days. I know Nick has more words on him as a DFS option later, so we will save that. Jets wide receiver Corey Davis not listed with that illness. It's Garrett Wilson with 22 targets over the last two weeks. Davis has 12 Look, that's not enough, especially against the Bills. So Garrett Wilson, yeah, continues to be an upside wide receiver too. Got to love that. Don't be going crazy otherwise. And finally, it looks like Jacoby Myers is probably going to miss next Monday night's matchup against the Cardinals due to that concussion he suffered on last Thursday. So Devontae Parker should be the only guy that I think is actually running a route on over 80% of the quarterback's dropbacks. I expect Nelson Aguilar, Kendrick Bourne, and Tyquan Thornton to probably rotate fairly evenly as the rest of the group. Really, Nick, the only guy I care about in this passing game is Hunter Henry. This is a Cardinals defense that ranks dead last in fantasy points per game, allowed to opposing tight ends. And you can dig and look at the guys i think i was listing them on the wednesday uh, edition of this podcast where yeah travis kelsey did have a big game but sometimes we see these teams really bad based on two performances and it really has been something where more than a few tight ends of all shapes and sizes have been able to have some pretty great games against the cardinals so hunter henry i do think deserves top 10 treatment this week thanks to the potential for increased volume without jacoby and again that aforementioned fantastic matchup thoughts on hunter henry or anyone else in this new england passing game nick so, so on Travis Kelsey, uh, we learned after the fact that he had the flu. So that probably influenced his. He had a huge game anyway, though. So, you know, fair play to the man. Uh, <laughs> oh, wait, I'm thinking of last week. Who was? Yeah, yeah, play? yeah. They played a while ago. I don't know, but okay, Kelsey okay. killed the Cardinals. So either way. Okay. All right. Two quick tight ends to break down. David Njoku, not listed with the knee injury. And the fact he didn't play last week and he was practicing in a limited fashion starting on Wednesday through the end of the week, I am feeling pretty good about Njoku being someone that we can go back and trust immediately. Are, you know, limited snaps a little bit possible? Okay, but look at the damn tight end leaderboard any week. I'll take an 80% David Njoku over 100% a lot of other guys. So, look. Kittle, Fryermuth, Dalton Schultz, TJ Hawkinson, Mark Andrews, Travis Kelsey. I'm definitely starting those guys over David Njoku. But after that, man, and I only listed six names, I think it's a fair conversation. Where are you at with Njoku ahead of week 14? Yeah, I, I mean, I'm not excited about him, but at the same time, I've got him top six, top seven. So <laughs> that's, that's just the, Yeah. <laughs> Like, yeah, I, I get it. There are some red flags here, uh, and we're trying to be mindful of those. And it's like, all right, it's like the opposite of Jerry Judy. It's like, well, we got to worry about this. Uh, okay, <laughs> tight end six, whatever. Bengals yeah. tight end Hayden Hurst out with a calf issue. Last week, Mitchell Wilcox was the guy uh, working ahead of Devin Asiasi, the former Patriot. But that said, still just a 64% route rate. I'm pretty confident Burrow is mostly just going to be focusing on his healthy wide receivers and running backs as opposed to trying to get either of these backup tight ends more involved couple quick notes on defense charger safety Derwin James doubtful with a quad I mean if you guys thought this Chargers defense was already bad without Joey Bosa wait till you see him without Derwin not looking good when you got the freaking Miami Dolphins on deck and with the 49ers the offensive lineman Nick Bosa legit questionable with the hamstring I like when they actually like tell you how much of a um what's the right word Maybe shit show. Some of these injury reports are Nick sometimes because like we had the report come out for the 49ers that like Nick Bosa is dealing with a legit hamstring injury, which is all obviously implying that he's been listed plenty of times or players have without a legit hamstring injury. But we're just going to list them regardless and then list them all as questionable. So, yeah, 
apparently it's legit. I would have thought being questionable, like, why? You're, you're listening to them as questionable. Of course it's legit. And now you're throwing my mind in a pretzel uh, because apparently some of them aren't legit. So, yeah, that'd be good news for Tom Brady and company if arguably the defensive player of the year is sidelined. Nick, you also noted that Arizona slot corner Byron Murphy with a back injury. He's not looking good after starting off the week with back-to-back DMPs. And we have Eagles slot cornerback Avante Maddox expected tentatively we'll find out because the whole injured reserve process but he could be back which does not help richie james's prospects out of the slot so good stuff there and finally as always special thanks to our guy kevin roth over at roto grinders always doing some great stuff monitoring that weather for us only have four games in the yellow so usually i think it's yellow orange and red so this is not overly severe i wouldn't really be freaking out about it just be mindful of some potential rain in buffalo for jets bills uh for the Ravens steelers game in pittsburgh for the eagles giants game in new york and for the buccaneers 49ers game in san fran All right, Nick, let's answer a few more questions before we get into some DFS goodness. From Daniel, would you start Deshaun Watson over Mike White or Tannehill? Like, that's where I'm starting Deshaun Watson here. We got Mike White, and I'm a fan, Nick, but we all just kind of ignore when he faced this exact same defense last year and looked terrible and threw four picks. So maybe it's not the Mike White era just yet. Like, come on, Deshaun Watson over Mike White going into Buffalo? I see you're thinking about it, Nick. Oh, yeah, I have Mike White ahead of him. Oh, my goodness. All right, well, <laughs> uh, all right, Daniel. Nick's got Mike White. I got Deshaun Watson. I think I'm right, but Nick thinks he's right. So, you know, you pick, <laughs> you pick, my friend. All right, Holden, is it worth it to start James Cook over Donovan Peoples-Jones? I got to check my rankings. That one's actually pretty close. Let's see. I have Peoples-Jones 60th overall and James Cook 65th overall. So that one is very close. I slightly lean DPJ, Nick. What do you think? Um. I think that that's I, I could make arguments for both. I think I would slightly go James Cook, but I I, I respect and I, I understand either one. I but James Cook for me. We gotta get a third person on here to break up these tiebreakers. Apologies, everyone, but you know what? There uh, that means you're asking good questions. So with that, we appreciate you. Uh, tight end start b- between Pat Fryermuth or Greg Dolchich. Yeah, I'm going with Pat Fryermuth here. The thing with Dolchich, guys, he only has more than five targets, and I think two games a season. So you take Cortland Sutton out of it, that's fine. We had Nathaniel Hackett come out with that quote saying that, oh, you know, he's more or less being used as a wide receiver, but that's not really true when you look at it. He's still spending over 50 percent of his snaps as an inline tight end, which I'm fine with, but it's not like we saw him all of a sudden, you know, playing the outside wide receiver position when Colton Sutton got hurt last week. So just wanted to clarify that. From Trey, let's see, full PPR start two, Juju Boyd, Singletary, Judy, or Rashad White. I would say Juju and Rashad White out of that group. What do you think? Yeah, definitely Rashad White. Yeah, and then probably, yeah, Juju. Yeah. Yeah. The thing with Juju, I know last week wasn't good for him, but that was more so because Mahomes had season low totals in pass attempts and passing yards. Judy's route rate, while that first game after the concussion, it was terrible. It was not looking good at all. He got back over that 80% mark last week. So especially with Tony potentially sidelined again. Before Juju got concussed, guys, he had three straight top 12 finishes. Now, someone that didn't draft very much Judy back in August, you know, it'd be really easy for me to sit here and say like, oh, this is what he's always been. But the underlying stuff looked good last week. And I do think the Broncos, while they have been a very good defense overall, you start looking a little bit against their numbers against receivers specifically lined up in the slot. And they have been bottom 12 and more statistics than not. 
and from our guy Mojo Packers D to stash for next week. The Rams travel to Lambeau. Was feeling good before Baker's game last night. Yeah, Sean McVay, you know, the overall cube, the overall number one overall pick whisperer, I guess. It's not the worst one. I mean, the Packers are obviously going to be probably a top 10 ranked defense. I did tweet out some of these playoff schedules and Nathan Yonke and I were talking about it on the uh, waiver wire edition. So let me just pull that up. So in weeks 15 through 17, looking at the best average, you know, schedule score we got going on the top five defenses that I got chargers, chiefs, Vikings, lions, and Raiders were those groups. So with the Packers, yeah, they do actually profile as having to your point that, you know, top ranked 32nd, best matchup of the lot so for week 15 specifically i don't think they're a bad play at all just realizing week 16 who do they play not looking good in week 16 because they yeah they gotta go into miami to face the dolphins at that point so yeah for one week packers sounds good to me man just realize you're gonna need to stash another group for the following week and with that nick we have concluded the injury portion of all this if you guys missed any of that go to pff.com i'll have basically all the notes i have my lovely show sheet attached to an article with mario Pilato and getting his injury expertise analysis as well and that now takes us to the dfs portion of this podcast we're gonna be sticking mostly to DraftKings. nick you have a lovely article out saturdays for the fine folks where you list five of your favorite plays of the week so with that we're gonna get straight into next top five plays of the week starting off with you know a guy that is starting to become a little bit of a name this week because five straight games 30 plus receiving yards we got some injuries with Traylon burks in tennessee chig okonkwo nick your favorite tight end prospect, and you said that he's facing your favorite linebacker group to target. Elaborate on the 2.7K tight end out of Tennessee. Yeah, so PFF's ownership projections have met uh, 0.0%. So, or he just he actually just wasn't even in the projection. So that's great for differentiating purposes. Um, I noticed Okonkwo earlier in the year because he he just kept coming up in the per routes statistics. So some quick info on him. Among NFL tight ends, 37 NFL tight ends with at least 25 targets this year. Number three in targets per outrun. Number one in yards per outrun. Number one in yards per reception. Uh, number five in average depth of target. Number one in yards after catch per reception. He's he's quietly just been this freak, uh, efficiency freak. Um, and now he gets to play against Doug Peterson's god-awful linebacking core. The Jags had been starting... Foyasade, Oluwokan, and first-round rookie Devin Lloyd. Devin Lloyd, as we've talked about, worst coverage linebacker in the league. He got demoted for third-round rookie Chad Muma, who then suffered an ankle injury last week. So now, and he was also awful. His PFF coverage grade was 35.3. But now Devin Lloyd is expected to be back in the starting lineup, and Foyasade is not good either. So um, Traylon Burks is out. I already would have liked this matchup just because we like to start our tight ends against Jacksonville. Um, but with Traylon Burks out, I, if Chigozia Mokonkwo is going to have an explosive performance, then this is it. So I'm just firing him up um, everywhere. When I, well, I drafted Kyle Pitts all over the place. So I'm basically starting Okonkwo everywhere. Uh, what are your thoughts on him? Hey, I like him a little bit more as a lower-owned DFS guy, but again, you look at the potential for any tight end seemingly to just leap into the top 10, except the guys like Kyle Pitts that we would actually hope would be putting up the points. And again, like what? 
Kate Otten's in the top five last week. Like I, Greg Dolchers was a tight end too. The position moves so fast that, yeah, I do think a Conquo could get going. The only problem is, you know, expecting super consistent uh, anything out of him. Same thing affected Austin Hooper. Same thing with Jonu Smith, who I really think Chig is essentially replacing at this point in the offense. But hey, if we are gambling on a tight end where we're probably realistically only going to see five targets, it should probably be a guy that has a four or five speed that has, you know, top tier efficiency metrics as you brought up. I cannot wait for everyone to lose their minds over this dude in the offseason, though. He is 100% going to be 2023's Albert O. Not saying it won't turn out better, but it's a small sample size where, honestly, and I will say this, like watching Chick throughout the season, he will have flashed. He's already flashed more times than Albert O ever did, I think, even in their small sample sizes. You can look at the efficiency numbers, but they do like throwing the ball to him downfield as well. I mean, so much of Albert O's numbers were just from that curl catch and run like 60-yarder against the Eagles. Great play. It was a great play, but it just got inflated over time. So good stuff there. Let's talk about Jets running back Zonovan Knight here. And I'm happy you did specify GPP play because it's not a complete given here what it's going to look like with Michael Carter back in the picture. One of those things where we're just so desperate to get stuff confirmed that I think sometimes we make a little bit too much out of coach speak. So. Earlier this week, Jets head coach Robert Sala said Zonovan Knight is quote-unquote not going anywhere when Michael Carter returns to the lineup. Yeah, he was already in the lineup, had overtaken James Robinson before Michael Carter got hurt. So I don't think he's going to become inactive. Like, that wasn't a big deal. He had already beaten out James Robinson. The question, I guess, is like, is he going to continue to have the potential for 15 to 20 touches per week? It's possible, Nick. It is. And in a game where they are going to be in Buffalo – no, you wouldn't think it's going to be great game script. That said, it was a month ago that Zach Wilson managed to beat these very Buffalo Bills. Thoughts on Zonvin Knight? Not in a great spot, but with the potential to keep on keeping on, perhaps. Yeah, so uh, what I'm going to do is just compare him to, to Michael Carter and then touch on the health of the Bills' defense here. I think Knight will I, – okay, I don't think this should be controversial. I think that he will lead the team in carries this week. I also think that he will retain a passing down role. Now, the, the, to the carries point, number 11 in PFF rushing grade, number eight y- uh, yards per carry, number eight yards after contact per carry, num- tied for number two in missed tackles forced per rush attempt among NFL running backs with at least 25 rush attempts. Where this gets interesting is the receiving side of things. He's number 10 in PFF receiving grade compared to Michael Carter, who's number 18. Targets per outrun, he's 16 to Carter's 36. He's number nine in yards per outrun to Carter's 28. We can keep going with that, but the point is Knight has actually profiled as a better pass catching back this year. I think that Carter, because he's he's just he's a veteran, you know, second year, whatever. He's he has kind of the know-how that that coaches like for passing downs. So I do think that Carter will have a passing down role, but I believe that the ceiling is here for Knight to have a much larger role than we might anticipate. And I like the idea of this potentially being a back and forth game. What doesn't make sense to me is Buffalo opened here as uh, 10 point favorites. The Jets beat these guys with Zach Wilson uh, like a month ago. So I think that this might be a lot more competitive than the market believes on the, the Buffalo's defensive health, Matt Milano, uh, inside linebacker. He's dealing with a knee injury. He only was able to log a limited practice participation on Friday. He missed uh, Wednesday and Thursday. He leads the team in tackles, tackles for loss or no gain, and 19 stops. His 15 tackles for loss or no gain lead all NFL linebackers with at least 150 run defense snaps. So if he's out, that's significant. And if he's limited, that's also noteworthy. 
uh, nose tackle Jordan Phillips, who I think is kind of just an early down guy because by the look of his snap share, he's, he's not on the field 100% of the time. Um, he is out already uh, with a shoulder issue. And as we know, Von Miller is out with the, uh, the ACL. Um, so I think that, like I said, he's a GPP play, but I really like Knight's upside. And look, I still still think we've talked about these schedules for fantasy playoffs, and the Jets have the best at running back. So it's not that I'm out on Zonovan Knight by any stretch. Just realize, like, we're going to have most likely three running backs still involved. And when we're going into Buffalo, yes, there are some nice injuries. And that's why he is a quality GPP play. I, I'm, I'm with you there, Nick. But don't get too carried away just because we've all been talking about him quite so much in the industry. Um, let's see. From Edison Tongue, Damian Pierce or Jeff Wilson. Got to go with Damian Pierce after that Dolphins usage last week, unfortunately. And also, I believe I forgot to talk about Leonard Fournette being questionable um, in our running back section. So my bad there. But it does sound like he's going to be able to give it a go. Didn't we have Todd Bowles say something specifically about him, Nick? Or am I crazy? I missed that. If, Todd if Bowles, he did. Fournette. Okay. Yeah, so he's official. Coach Todd Bowles also did not express significant concern about the new foot injury sustained by Leonard Fournette. So I'm not saying he's going to lead the same way he did last week, where he did have this, you know, backfield high 60% snap rate. I think it's going to be pretty split evenly between him and White. And maybe if Fournette's working out less than 100%, White gets a little bit of a boost. But unfortunately, guys, in this uh, Buccaneers offense, I mean, as much as Byron Leftwich wants to try to explain them being a bottom six scoring unit in the league on on fantasy football. Like, this pisses me off, man. And he really did steal Arthur Smith's whole flow, but it didn't even make sense when Byron Leftwich said it. Like when Arthur Smith was complaining about fantasy football, it was coming off of like 30 point performances where the Titans were performing as a top 10 offense. And he was actually not the Titans, excuse me. The Falcons were performing as a top 10 offense. They were winning games, scoring points. And then he gets in the post game presser and they're like, Arthur, how come Kyle Pitts doesn't have enough targets? Yeah, that's annoying. What the hell is Leftwich talking about? Like, it's a reasonable question about, hey, are you concerned about, I don't know, scoring three real-life points in the first, like, 55 minutes of football games, and he decides to bash fantasy football for no reason at all. So here's a fun real-life stat for you guys about Byron Leftwich. This Buccaneers offense in 2020 and 2021 combined had five games where they didn't manage to score at least 21 points, including the playoffs. This year, they already have 10. So, yeah. Byron, good job. You're not scoring many fantasy points. You're not scoring many real-life points either. I'm pretty sure that helps you win games, Nick, but I am not a doctor. Okay, getting back on topic here. Apologies. No, I'm not sorry. Whatever, Byron Leftwich. That was a stupid thing to say. Got to stick up for fantasy football when, you know, the mainstream media and all these coaches try to attack us. But Ezekiel Elliott and Patrick Mahomes, Nick, we'll start with Zeke in play for both GPP and Cash. So with Zeke coming back, has looked pretty good, man. Now, usually we just can only compliment Tony Pollard, and then we have to put down Zeke. But looking at what he's been able to do in an offense that leads the NFL in scoring over the past four weeks – Hey, when we have guys like Zeke, like Pacheco, like Jamal Williams, even like Zonovan Knight, where, yeah, maybe some of them have a slightly higher pass game ceiling than others, but more often than not, I'm just expecting around 15 carries for these guys. I'll take the 15 carries in a dream matchup as 17-point favorites at home against one of the worst front sevens in the league residing in Houston. Talk about Zeke Elliott this week. Yeah. So actually a funny point about the, uh, the teams, you know, fantasy winning games, whatever. I think it was Sam Hoppen who totaled the records of coaches who have said that, and they're 11 and 14 this year. So, you know, get <laughs> it on. right, Byron. But um, what do we like about Zeke? 
Uh, Dallas opened as 17 and a half point home favorites, which like they, they might, I mean, I don't know, maybe they'll cover that, but it speaks to the disparity in, in offensive uh, talent with Dallas and defensive talent with Houston. Since Ezekiel Elliott returned from his grade two MCL sprain, he has led Tony Pollard in total carries. Uh, it's a close margin, but it's it's noteworthy. He hasn't totally been erased from the offense. I was surprised to see, even with this matchup, PFF's ownership projections have Elliott for an 8% roster ship rate. That's just 14th highest at the position. Uh, his salary is 6,100. So it's I think that this is an easy one for to use for both cash and GPP games. It's not a, a crippling number. Um, I've got his rushing data in here. The long story short is that he's, you know, he's not this elite guy that he used to be, but number 13 in yards after contact per rush, he's still getting the job done. Houston's defense is bottom four in PFF run defense grade, missed tackles, average depth of tackle and and rate of negatively graded run play run defense plays. Um, I think it's I think it's just going to be kind of a walk in the park for him. All of the hype is on Pollard. I think we can saddle up the old veteran and ride him to some fantasy points here. Love that call. And then also Patrick Mahomes, someone where I think also when you look at the ownership projections, you'll be surprised to see they're not as outrageous as you might otherwise have thought on us on a week, you know, where we are missing six teams on by yes, quarterback, we tend to see, you know, a bit lower ceiling in terms of what the ownership actually gets up to, but you are confident in Mahomes and both GPP and Kashnick, despite the tough matchup coming up against the Denver Broncos and mile high talk about Mahomes in the spot. Yeah, so the ownership projections have him at 6.2%. Uh, his salary, it's 300 bucks under, I think it's Josh Allen that leads, uh, which is, you know, an, enough juice to, to consider that there. Um, but 6.2%, quite a bit lower than I would have expected for a guy like Mahomes. Uh, as for those concerned about whether he can score against this defense, I don't like to chase touchdowns, but I do think that this is noteworthy here. Mahomes has 47 goal-to-go dropbacks. That leads all NFL quarterbacks by a 10-dropback margin. So the ceiling is always intact no matter what is going – no matter the strength of, of the opposition's defense. He scored 19 touchdowns. Next closest is actually Jared Goff with 12. Um, we already know that Mahomes is amazing, so I'm not going to go through his passing statistics. But in terms of this matchup, one – uh, it looks like 2019 second team all pro guard Joe Tooney is expected to return. Uh, he had an ankle injury, but head coach Andy Reid said that he was almost going to play last week and they just wanted to get him fully healthy. So I think we're good to go there. Travis Kelsey has a fantastic uh, matchup, 43% matchup advantage rating. We like to see that. That leads uh, the rest of the uh, tight ends by, I think it's a, a 30 point margin, which is hysterical. But Denver, scary defense, maybe not so much. Uh, through the first eight weeks of the season, prior to the Bradley Chubb trade, uh, their pass rush was top six in PFF pass rush grade, uh, percentage of pass rush win rate and quarterback pressure rate. Since then, they have tumbled down into the high 20s in all three of those categories. They also lost Randy Gregory for the season, and they've got some injuries to their rotational guys. Jonathan Cooper dealing with an ankle injury and nose tackle DJ Jones has a shoulder. So I think this defensive front is going to be a little it's, it's going to be less than, than what we typically expect from them. And I think Mahomes is going to be able to work with the cozy pocket here and, the, and that the, the roster ship rate is too low. 
potential bring back and Kendall Hinton as shouted out by our guy Mojo. Always appreciate your positive vibes in the chat, my man. But yeah, no, I think that makes a lot of sense. Hinton is probably the cheapest wide receiver you can realistically put into a tournament lineup. So I usually don't like to go that low when we're messing around in cash, but Looking at Hinton there at just 3,400, when you take out Sutton from it, and we saw this when Judy was out of the picture, they really do trust Kendall Hinton to be the number two wide receiver in that offense. So they are matched up against the Chiefs defense that has allowed the fifth most PPR points per game to opposing wide receivers. Last week, Hinton actually led the way with an 81% route participation rate. So good call by Mojo. And finally, Nick, God forbid we go an entire podcast without talking about our one true sun god himself, Amon Ra St. Brown. Last 17 games, two of these games where he was limited against the Bills and then he got concussed against the Cowboys. I don't even care. Include him for all I care. Last 17 games, 167 targets, 127 receptions, 1,534 total yards and 12 touchdowns. Let the people know. Why Amon Ross St. Brown will continue being great this Sunday against the Vikings. So the PFF ownership projections have him uh, at 14%, which is second highest, but I think it's totally deserving and it might be difficult to keep pace with these guys. If you don't have him in the lineup, his $7,800 salary, it, that's, it's totally affordable. It's 1200 under the maximum, you know, Hey, we could always choose to be uh, cheaper, but whatever. I, I think that this is fine, especially given the matchup here. This game is told, totaled at 51 and a half points. One of only two games over, like I said earlier, I think 47 points, definitely over 50 points. Uh, for some reason, we just have a bunch of really bad matchups. So getting a piece of these um, high score or projected high scoring games, I think is going to be key. Since DJ Chark returned to the lineup, St. Brown, he's, he's maintained his sl slot heavy roll 59.7% slot route rate, but he's still getting some juice on the perimeter. So in the piece, I've compared him to all three of these cornerbacks uh, uh, here. Looking at St. Brown's um, is like his per route data. He's top four in both targets per outrun yards per outrun. The guy's just a machine. Um, we really like this matchup against Shannon Sullivan though, slot cornerback for the Minnesota Vikings Tied for set 27th in uh, PFF slot coverage grade. His his catch rate allowed, I, I mean, yeah, catch rate allowed 79.7. Yards allowed per coverage snap 1.43. Previous rate was uh, number 35 in the league, and that's number one being good here. Mm -hmm. uh, the yards allowed per coverage snap is number 28. I think that ARSP is just kind of going to cook uh, Chan and Sullivan and I, I know he will have to take some snaps against, against Patrick Peterson, but I think that I'm, I'm not worried about it. I think that this is a great matchup for St. Brown to just do his normal thing. As always, next DFS cheat sheet available on pff.com every Saturday. Make sure you give that a read. If you want, again, five quality plays throughout the season. Nick's gotten my ass a few times where I've been like, I don't know about this one, man. Like explain to everyone, really, please try to explain because I'm not seeing what you're talking about here. Had some nice hits along the way. So, man, you had Kaderil Hodge last week. Who the hell had Kaderil Hodge last no, no, week? No, uh, no, Isaiah Hodgins. Isaiah Hodgins. Even, yeah. even Which crazier. Touchdown. 
Yeah. Hey, we'll take it. <laughs> oh man. Multiple Hodges. That's what happens when we get to this point in the week, everyone. <laughs> yeah. Before we get out of here, I do have a couple of notes. I go on a Roto Grinders every Friday, talk up some DFS over there. So, hey, might as well give you guys a little bit of the goodness as well. So current cash game show I am looking at with Jared Goff being just 5.6K in this potential shootout here. I do like stacking him with Amon Ross St. Brown, who we just mentioned being more than cash game viable. As a bring back in that one, Adam Thielen just 4.9k i think him and zay jones at 4.7k are the cheaper wide receivers that we can be feeling good about in cash because i would love 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 to try to get up to jamar chase over there at 7.9k if at all possible just seems like too big of a discrepancy between chase and the other top guys yeah they can all blow open the slates we just haven't seen chase do it quite as recently because he was hurt at running back isaiah pacheco who nick already said a lot of i guess i was on of a night but isaiah pacheco we've been talking about throughout this show and some of the good spots he's in as a nine-point favorite against the Broncos I do think he'll find a way to make the most out of his 15 plus carries once again Rashad White honestly even with Leonard Fournette in the picture I do think remains cash game viable and Travis Etienne with that full-time role Yes, the Titans' run defense is pretty good, but the Jaguars' run offense might even be better. I mean, they are number one in the league in yards before contact, a lot per carry, and ETN maybe, just maybe, finally gets his pass game role opened up in this spot. Greg Dolchich and Chig Okonkwo are going to be your two salary savers at tight end. If you can get up the Steelers at 2.8K, I think that's the best matchup at home against Tyler Huntley. If not, though, I think the Panthers at 2.2 are reasonable enough. I mean, when you get down to the real shallow parts of defense, you're just hopefully looking for a group that is good or has a good matchup. No, they don't have the best matchup on the road against Geno Smith and company. But Geno, for how great he's been this year, the one stat you can pull up where he has been a little up and down is turnover-worthy plays. So could be more of a pass-happy attack without Kenneth Walker, maybe leading to a couple extra turnover-worthy plays along the way against Brian Burns and company who have kept the Panthers competitive this year despite the front office's best efforts. On the tournament side of things, just a few plays I like. Yeah, I could see the Steelers going off, but at the same time, Tyler Huntley and Mark Andrews, we've seen the connection work in the past. And again, Huntley just profiles as a better in fantasy than real-life quarterback. I mean, Nick, Sam Ellinger, I know he was like 4.9K, so he was cheaper. We were losing our minds about Sam Ellinger being his potential cash quarterback. Like, Huntley, we've actually seen be good at the NFL level before and at 5.5K. I know he's a little more expensive, but I feel like he's going way too under the radar especially when we can also stack him with Mark Andrews, who we've seen thrive with whoever under center because he's a great player against a Pittsburgh secondary that even though they are a little healthier these days, hasn't been overly good all season long. So I do like my Huntley Andrews stacks. I think Miles Sanders is someone going really under the radar because he didn't have that good game last week. But credit to Nick Sirianni and the Eagles. They usually attack you where you are at your weakest. Guess where the Giants league worst defense in yards before contact allowed per carry is weakest in the run game. Wouldn't be surprised prize at all of Sanders maybe doesn't go quite as off as he did against the Packers a few weeks ago but at least finishes closer to that than what he did against the Titans couple more here I mentioned before about maybe getting up to Andrews at tight end but David Njoku at 3.9k again a healthy David Njoku which he's not listed on the injury report maybe not 100% but who is 100% in the NFL at week 14 he is not being priced as a top five top six tight end that Nick and I are ranking him as and that I do expect him to be more weeks than not with Watson under center down the stretch 
and at wide receiver. Isaiah McKenzie, just 4.2K. I mean, a lot of the same things you said about Mahomes against the Broncos, Nick, I think can also be applied to the Bills against the Jets. Like, yeah, it's a very tough matchup. Give all the credit to Patrick Sertan, Sauce Gardner. Like, both these defenses have been good, great even, all season long. But would we really be surprised if Mahomes and Josh Allen do Mahomes and Josh Allen things and go the hell off? No. So don't be afraid to take a full-time slot receiver in Isaiah McKenzie, who will be avoiding those tougher matchups on the outside in this one. And finally, last note I have here is Chris Goblin at 6.7K. Hey, I, you know, I'm reading off uh, every single week, seemingly a Monroe St. Brown's growing reception totals, and it's been a fun time. And it is ridiculous when you have six-plus catches and you know 14 of your last 15 non-injured games. That's quite the spectacle. Chris Goblin is getting there, getting there though, guys. Since week four, here are Chris Goblin's reception totals. Seven, six, six, seven, six, seven, six, 12, and most recently, eight. He's even found the end zone in two of his last three games. So on a full PPR site like DraftKings, I do think Goblin could go ahead and get his. I actually, I like the Bucks plus three and a half negative. They would have had it plus three. Okay, but three and a half, Brady versus Purdy. Come on, man. I know Jacoby Brissett beat this team a couple weeks ago. These are not the same bucks we've been used to seeing, but especially if Nick Bosa is, as we know, legit Nick, not just questionable, legit questionable with his hamstring injury. I mean, that pass rush is what I believe, and Fred Warner in the front seven. To me, that's the strongest part of the 49ers defense. It's not so much their secondary. And Brady, along with Tua Tagovailoa, have been the only two quarterbacks really over these past two seasons who get the ball out of their hands in a hurry and can still push it downfield. So I know the Bucs haven't been you know, this kryptonite for any defenses to really worry about this year, but I don't think they're going to get quite as eviscerated against this 49ers pass defense as some folks are making it out to be. And with that, we have concluded another edition of the PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. Nick, let the people know what you got going on. My man is grinding all over the industry. Always a great day to be great with you, my friend. Thank you, Ian. Yeah. Okay, so uh, we'll have the uh, Sunday recap released at the 33rd team on Monday. We got streaming DSTs, starts and sits at 4 for 4, ranks at Nerdball, along with uh, Nerding Out with Nick Bodiford podcast, then uh pff top five wide receiver cornerback matchups to target and avoid i think that comes out typically now fridays and then the dfs cheat sheet on saturdays and a quick note i did do the uh, undrafted dynasty podcast with one mr jacks falcone so look for that in your podcast feeds for nick i'm in thanks for doing the pff fantasy football podcast good luck this week guys go get that freaking playoff clinch if you haven't already until next time take care everybody 